Good morning, church. Uh, Doug and Lana are out of town this weekend uh, for a wedding for one of their former students uh, down in Huntsville. Uh, and so several weeks back, uh, Doug asked if I would be uh, willing to fill in for him. Uh, and I had to uh, think for a little bit because uh, I'd already done the math and knew where the series was going Uh, But once I found out that he was preaching chapter 14 last week and I would be in chapter 15, uh, I said, okay, Um, I was I was not going to uh, uh, to try to do what he did last week. uh, So eloquently uh, working through uh, Paul's words in chapter 14. Um, So uh, I'm happy to uh, be here uh, talking with you all as we work through uh, the first half of chapter 15. Uh, this morning. Uh, Joe is also very happy that I agreed uh, because he was uh, also on uh, the reserve list uh, if I had said no uh, to, to preach. Um, he's also excited because he again gets to uh, make his uh, joke about uh, Santa filling in uh, for Doug uh, this season. Um, and I already know that some of you are going to take pictures that Santa preached this morning, uh, and you won't be the first, and you probably won't be the last. So uh, do what you must do. Um, as Doug has mentioned, uh, as we are coming uh, to the final weeks of this series of becoming the church, working through Paul's words to the Corinthians uh, in his first letter, um, we encourage you, if you have missed some of the weeks uh, previously, that you go to the website or the podcast and listen to uh, those sermons, uh, hear the things that have been said, uh, because as, as Doug has uh, reiterated several times, and as I will hit on again this morning, uh, we have to remember it is vital that we hear these words uh, as a letter written from Paul to the church in Corinth. Uh, meaning several things. One, we only have half of the conversation. Uh, This letter is in response to a letter or several letters that Paul has received as he has heard word of what is going on uh, in Corinth, and he is writing uh, in response to those things. Uh, So we are eavesdropping on half of a conversation, uh, as well as, Doug has mentioned several times, we have to remember that when this was written, it was written... Uh, to be read as a whole. Uh, this was long before uh, anybody came along and assigned chapters and verses to these words. Uh, so many times uh, the issue has come up uh, that we have picked sections of text or verses uh, and pulled them out of a context and used them uh, to justify our own Uh, thoughts on something. Uh, But we have to look at this as a whole, as Doug has been talking about week after week, because all of this goes together. It was one letter that was written, uh, and we have to read it in its full context and understand everything uh, that is going on. Uh, So uh, I want to pray for us this morning, uh, and then we're going to read together uh, this first part of 1 Corinthians 15. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the blessing of today. We thank you for the blessing of this place and the body that you have assembled here this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for the blessing of family. We thank you for the blessing of this church family, the way that we 
uh, can come together to worship and praise you, to glorify your name, to encourage and build one another up and spur one another on to closer relationship with you. We thank you for the many gifts and talents that you have assembled into this place. Uh, and we thank you for the ways that you give us opportunities each and every day to put those talents into good works for your kingdom. And Father, this morning, as we read uh, these words from Paul, Father, I pray that you uh, would grant us uh, understanding uh, and guidance as, uh, as we listen to uh, your words uh, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, I encourage you to uh, open up or log on uh, to that and uh, read along uh, with me as we read uh, chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have, be, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that time, most of which are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then I was, whether it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Uh, so, uh, Paul in this first part of chapter fifteen uh, is basically um, rehashing chapter one. Uh, so, if you remember, several weeks back. Um, when uh, Doug opened up this series in chapter 1, uh, Paul focused on the cross. And here in chapter 15, uh, everything roots back to the cross, and Paul is really hammering uh, the resurrection as the second part of that gospel story. And he labels this of first importance, death, burial, resurrection, and the appearance of Christ that followed are the foundations that the church is built on and the gospel message in which they first believed in and gave their lives over to. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was then buried. He was then raised from the dead on the third day, also in accordance to the scriptures. And then he appeared to a wide variety of people. Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to Peter or Cephas, uh, in some translations, and to the twelve, uh, and then to more than 500 brothers and sisters. Um, and he says, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Um, now, just a note on that that Doug is going to hit on um, in part of his sermon next week. 
uh, the New Testament, when they talk about people dying, uh, many times will say they fell asleep, uh, which I think is to say something about how temporary they believed death was. Death was just sleeping, temporary, because they would live again just like Jesus lives again. Um, And Doug's going to have more on that next week. Um, Then it says he appeared to James, and last, uh, he appeared to Paul, as uh, in the way that Paul puts it, as one abnormally born, or some translations say untimely born. Uh, Paul here, uh, and in the verses to follow that we're going to talk about here, uh, is kind of embracing uh, some slander that he has received from some of his opponents, Uh, Paul, as you know, was not always Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. Uh, And he was on the other extreme as a Jewish leader taking uh, out Christians, uh, putting them to death, uh, persecuting Christ uh, before his transformation and now uh, has come into uh, one of the fiercest of leaders in the Christian church, which he once persecuted. Um, We've been talking about this with the juniors and seniors on Sunday morning, looking at the life of Paul, and we talked last week about that uh, transformation that Paul went through uh, from one extreme to the next, which basically burned bridges on both sides. Uh, He was uh, no longer accepted uh, by the Jewish leaders, and many of them were trying to kill him, and he wasn't fully trusted and respected by the Christians because they didn't. They thought he was just trying to sneak in and get names so that he could arrest and put them all to death. Um, and so uh, he was kind of stuck in the middle, and as he's preaching and as he's teaching and as his reputation is growing, he still faces a lot of opposition, uh, a lot of people questioning his motives uh, and his new life that he has been born into in Christ. And so they have several things that they say about him. And Paul uh, is kind of embracing that. Uh, If you remember when you were a child, if people in your classes maybe made fun of you, um, your parents would say, don't let it get to you. you. If you take it personally, if you let it get to you, it's just going to encourage them to make fun of you more and pick on you more. But if you just laugh it off, if you let it roll off, then they'll get tired because they'll see it doesn't get to you. And so Paul here is embracing the slander that he's getting. Uh, And what he means by this is he says, uh, Christ appeared to me last of all as one abnormally or untimely born. This would be in that day and age a term that was used to describe a miscarriage, a misbirth. So Paul is talking about this new life, this rebirth. I was this, and then I died to the old life and was born again to this new life. And some of them are saying, I don't think you were completely born. Um, I think you just died to the old life. So the Jews would say, you just died. You didn't really come back to this new life because we don't believe in what you're preaching. This was a slanderous term, and he just kind of embraces it here. And he continues with that thought pattern uh, as he next refers to himself as being the lowest of the apostles. He said, I am the least of the apostles, and in fact, not even worthy of being called an apostle. Uh, Again, embracing some of that uh, slander that he has received, that his teaching has received. Because one of Paul's greatest fears is that his past would sabotage or devalue the message that he had of Christ. 
And so he had no other choice but to take it and, and accept it and say, yes, I am the guy that used to kill Christians. Yes, I am the guy that persecuted the church. Yes, I am that person. But through Christ, through the grace of God, through Christ's forgiveness on the cross, I now have this new life. He wanted that transformation. He wanted that resurrected life that he now lives to have full value and power. And so he's got to debunk everything that his opponents are saying about him. And the only way he can do it is just to own it. Yes, I was that, but I died to that. And now I live as Christ. I follow Christ's teachings. And I encourage you to follow me. Um, now, he was, however, equally insistent that he had faithfully discharged his commission and his success of the gospel work among the Gentile churches attests that God's grace had been at work through him. His success in the Gentile churches is uh, Paul's only boast. He's not one for boasting, but that would be it if he was going to brag about anything. Um, but again, his biggest fear was that uh, his past would come back and would sabotage the good work that God was doing through him, which is why he says he worked harder than any of them to indicate that he knows that his past reputation could be used to hinder his future work, God's kingdom work, which is why he is not afraid to address it and take it head on, um, and even to the point of accepting and embracing uh, the things that are being said about him in an attempt to take their power and sting away uh, as to not devalue the gospel message that he's so boldly preaching. Um, now, Paul here in chapter 15 takes it a step further than where he was in chapter 1 uh, as he brings in the resurrection part. He focused mainly on the cross in chapter 1. Now uh, he's bringing the cross and the resurrection into it in this fourfold summary of the gospel. Uh, not only uh, laying out the fundamental element, uh, elements of the gospel story, but also uh, in a continuation of defending against speculations of falsehood. Um, if you look at many of the early gospel uh, accounts, uh, you go back to uh, some of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, some of the, the recounts of it in Romans and other letters uh, that are written, we see more of a boiled down twofold gospel Summary, uh, that Jesus died for our sins and was resurrected. Um, just those two points and uh, leaves the rest up to assumption. That we would assume that if somebody died, they were also buried. Uh, that's what happens. You die and we bury you. Um, and then would also assume that if you were raised from the dead, if you were resurrected, uh, that you probably appeared to people. Uh, otherwise, no one would know that you'd been raised from the dead. Uh, so the earlier gospel accounts are twofold. Christ died for our sins and then he was raised from the dead. Uh, and we would assume that we could fill in the gaps. But here uh, in chapter 15, Paul adds some points to that because that twofold uh, gospel uh, became the center of some controversy. The empty tomb was not fully believed. People said, okay, yes, Christ died. We witnessed that. A lot of people saw that. It was recorded. Uh, but there was some speculation as to, was he actually buried? We claim this empty tomb, but how do we know he was ever put in there? Uh, or that he wasn't just stolen from the tomb? 
Uh, and you talk about him being raised from the dead, but if we didn't see it, we're not going to believe it. And so Paul here uh, expounds upon that twofold gospel summary uh, to include the details. Um, and so uh, we see Paul here uh, reinfor- reinforcing the first part of the message Christ died, uh, and he reinforces it with the second part and was buried. That's a fact. He died, he was taken off the cross, and was put in the tomb. And I'm just going to make that and state that as fact. This would counter those who would argue that Christ uh, did not raise, but had been stolen or never put in the tomb in the first place. And then the same goes for his third and fourth points, which are Christ was then resurrected. And not only was his body raised from the dead, but he also appeared to his disciples and apostles and many other followers, Paul says, even myself included. Uh, He goes on into more detail on the resurrection to say, on the third day and and in accordance to the scriptures, just to reinforce those facts. Because for early Christians and even the Jews, they were deeply rooted in history. It was important uh, that they knew that Christ's death was not the only historical locatable event. That there was reference to, yes, we can track down in the records that Christ was put to death on this day. And then Paul says, according to the scriptures, your history book, on the third day, so three days after Jesus' death, he was resurrected. Here's another marker in history that you can go back to. Uh, And this was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures in which they lived by. So Paul here in the beginning of chapter 15 is really hammering the gospel message and reiterating the fact that it is of first importance, which again is exactly how he began uh, his letter 14 chapters ago. Uh, And in between the cross of chapter 1, which is Christ's suffering for all of our sins, and now the resurrection in chapter 15, which is the promise of our salvation to also be resurrected to new life, in between those two bookend chapters, chapter 1 and chapter 15, is all of their problems uh, uh, that the church is suffering in Corinth. Uh, So he opens up with, here's the cross. Here is what is important. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached and you believed in and gave your life over to. And then from chapter 2 through 14, here's all the places where you missed the point. Where you forgot about the gospel. Where you forgot about what was important. You forgot about your foundation and you missed the point. Uh, and are causing some harm. Uh, Paul even uh, to the point says it would be better if you didn't meet because your gatherings are causing more harm than good because you've forgotten about the cross. You've forgotten about the gospel message that you gave your life over to. Chapter 1 and 15 are bookends to Paul's address concerning the issues going on within the church in Corinth. He opens up Chapter 1, with what is the first importance, which is Christ's sacrifice on the cross and our weekly remembrance of that great sacrifice. But the church there had lost their focus and missed the point. And Doug has talked about that week after week, where they were dividing themselves. They were separating themselves out by class. They weren't coming together 
to, to, to partake of the Lord's Supper, but they were doing it individually and on their own and in separate places, and they were placing other people higher uh, and some people lower, and they were getting all sorts of things mixed up, and their, their worship services, their gatherings were confusing. They were commotion, and people couldn't understand what was going on. And the gospel message, the first importance, the thing that they were there to live out and be about and teach about, that message was being lost. People would leave their worship services, and if you said, what was worship about, would not be able to say, we talked about Jesus on the cross. And that's a problem. That should be something that we focus on. That should be something that we talk about every time we gather, is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Why? Because Paul says it's of first importance. Uh, So Paul goes through all of these things throughout this letter, uh, again, responding to letters that he's received about the issues that are going on in the church. Um, and again, like I said in the beginning, and as Doug has said week after week, we have to ignore the chapter headings and verse numbers and read this as one letter, because when we try to break it down into those individual chunks, we miss the point as well, because we take it out of context, and we have to see that this is a letter, and the fact that he starts in chapter 1 with the cross, and now in 15 goes back to the cross, it's kind of that summary and bringing it all together. It's those bookends that really reinforce that point that Doug has been making week after week, that all these things go together. This is one thought of Paul that he is working through. This is not individual pieces to be pulled apart. This is one cohesive thought from start to finish. And we see that when we look at the fact that he started at the cross, he's talked about all these issues, and now he's going back to the cross as he begins to sum up and wrap up this letter. Um, so we get back, uh, we get to chapter 15, and Paul takes us back to the point. What is of first importance? It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of, cross, of, the, of Christ, and the proof of that resurrection is that he appeared to many people uh, after that. Um, And so what is of first importance to the church in Corinth um, is that they see Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and in the same way know that uh, resurrection is possible for them as well. Jesus says, I've told you about Christ dying on the cross and raising again. And then he kind of hammers them for several chapters of all the things that, he's, that they're doing wrong. But now he comes back and he really digs in on the resurrection to encourage them. To say, yes, you have missed the point. Yes, you have fallen away. Yes, you uh, have drifted away from the cross. But in the same way that Christ died and was resurrected to new life, your church can die of its old bad habits and be raised again, be resurrected to new life. To have a chance, an opportunity to come back to the point, back to the first importance and become a vital gospel message preaching church to lead people to the cross. He says, yes, you've missed the point. Yes, you've messed up, but it's not over. You're not dead yet. You can be rebirthed into new life and be resurrected in the same way that Christ died and was resurrected. Um, And resurrection 
mentally a new life is the solution to all of their problems that he has been talking about in the past several sections of this letter. Christ died on the cross for their sins in chapter 1. Paul then lists all their sins as a church in chapter 2 through 14, and Christ's sacrifice on the cross, uh, their church, just as uh, not just as individuals, uh, their church as a whole can die to themselves in their sinful ways and be buried and then resurrected and given that new life. And it all centers around the table. Because each and every week we gather around a table to partake of the Lord's Supper. For what reason? To remind us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Why? Because it's of first importance. If we forget this story, if we forget what Christ did, if we forget the reason that we pull a chair up to this table week after week, we've missed the point And our meetings are for naught. Our belief is in vain, as Paul says. If you forget this table and the story of the gospel that it represents. We have to remember what is of first importance. Um, Paul says, um, what did I do? I just messed things up. Uh... There I am. All right. Um, They've missed the point. There I am. All right. Uh, The things they are doing are wrong, and the things uh, that they're doing are leading other people astray. Uh, And week after week, we gather around, we center around this table to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, And what it is doing is what Paul says and reiterates in 1 Corinthians 11 26, for what, uh, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Wrapped up in that statement is Jesus' death and his return, which assumes that if he's going to return, we know that he's no longer dead. He can't come back to us if he's still in the grave. Um. So, just the fact that we proclaim, uh, we take this bread, we drink this cup, proclaiming the Lord's death until He returns, uh, is proclaiming the fact that we believe that He's resurrected, that He's been raised from the dead. What God has been doing among them is bringing them into a new mentality, and now Paul is rooting that mentality in the resurrected Son of God. So, everything you've heard is true, Paul says. Christ is raised, and the resurrection is is real. This is why he writes about all the people that Jesus appeared to after he was raised, because it supports the truth of the resurrection for the Christians in Corinth that would not have witnessed it with their own eyes. There's all these people that saw it. You may not have been there. You may not have witnessed it. But I, Paul, am one of those witnesses, and I can attest to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive because I've seen it with my own eyes. Uh, And it's this gospel, this good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that is saving them and that they must hold on to as they live lives of faith. It is of first importance. It is of the utmost importance. So why is this good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, of first importance? Why is it so vitally important that they remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and know 
it to be true. Um, we can think of it because it's by this good news that we're saved. That's one reason we should remember it. We gain our salvation through the gospel story. But the problem is that fights kind of against what Paul has been talking about for all these chapters because the main thing he's been hammering throughout is you have become selfish and focused on yourselves. You are all trying to get up and talk at the same time because you all think that you're better than everybody else. Yes, the gospel message saves you as an individual. But in Christ, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's about his message. The problem in Corinth is they've made it about themselves. They all want to talk about it at the same time. And they're pushing other people away and talking over people. So it's just utter chaos and commotion. Paul says it's not about you. It's not about what you want to say. It's not about what you think. It is, come on now. Uh, it is about Christ and his story of resurrection. That's the message that people need to hear. Not your own voice, not your own sayings. It's Jesus. If they don't hear Jesus, if they don't leave the doors of your gatherings knowing for a fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then you've missed the point and you've wasted your time together. It's not about you, but Christ. So the reason that this is so important uh, that we share the good news, that we believe in the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is so that the whole world would know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because it's about getting everybody on board. It's about getting everybody to the table. We gather here, but we got to make sure there's plenty of room for everybody else, and we got to bring everybody else to this table. It's a daunting task to think about that our goal in life, our calling in life, is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth so that the whole world would have an opportunity to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's a good thing that we serve a God that has a plan and that knew how to do it and left instructions on how to do it. Uh, for that, we go back to Jesus' words himself, before Jesus commissioned his disciples with the task and told them to go into, whole, into all the earth, preaching and teaching all the things that I've taught you and baptizing people in my name and making disciples, before he gave them that commission and sent them out to the ends of the earth, he left instructions on how to do it. And we get that insight in John 17 uh, as we get this uh, inside conversation between Father and Son, as Jesus prays in the garden, he first prays for himself and the suffering that he's about to endure. Then he prays for his disciples and the task that they will be left with. And then he prays for all believers. That includes us. Anybody who believes in the gospel because of the preaching and teaching of the disciples. And his one prayer for the church is this, that all of them, talking about us, all believers, would be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity." Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So how is it that the world is going to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? 
when we all get along, when we all unify. And Paul says, your church is spending too much time fighting with one another and arguing with one another. And Christ's one prayer for the church is that we all be unified as believers. And the greatness of full unity, you think about it, every believer of Christ worldwide, if we were all to unify and work together, how powerful that message would be. But we can't even get along with each other. Which is why the gospel message is not spreading like it should. We have to unify. We have to come together. And what is it that brings us together? What is the common ground that we can stand on? It's this table and the message wrapped around it. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one thing that we can agree on as Christians because that's the one thing we have to believe in in order to be a Christian. All the things in chapter 2 through 12 are all the little side notes that we get distracted and tripped up on. And those are the things that divide us. Why do churches split? All the things wrapped up in chapter 2 through 12 or 2 through 14. He sums them all up. Those are the things we fight about. It was once said in this church, don't major in the minors. The major is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's the one thing you got to know and believe. John 3, 16. That's it, period. All the other stuff, that's preference. It's tradition. It's cultural. It is not the main point. It is not worth dividing over. It is not worth losing your salvation over and fighting with and dividing the church and the body of Christ. When we fight about those things, when we dig into those things, when we make those things the first importance, we amputate the body of Christ and we cut off the gospel message and the world hearing about and believing in Jesus. Because the one way, the only way that the world's going to know that Jesus is the Son of God is that we all unify in that one fact that Jesus came to this earth, He died for our sins, He was buried, and on the third day He rose again, and then He appeared to people to prove it. And when we unify in that and leave all the other junk behind, and we pull up a chair to this table, and we invite every other believer in the world to pull up a chair to this table, then we got a powerful message. Then we have a chance at getting people to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Why? Because we're living out Jesus' one prayer for the church. We believe, and we're unified in that belief. And Paul says it's not too late. There is a chance for you to be resurrected in the same way that Jesus Christ was resurrected. You too can put off these old ways. You too can put off these bad habits. And you can be resurrected to unify once again in the first importance, the one gospel message that you need to know. The one thing you got to know is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you do that then you got a chance to do what Christ and what God has called us to as believers to get the message out. Resurrection is a wonderful thought. And praise God that we serve a God powerful enough to resurrect us from our sins. Because if God could overcome death and is powerful enough to raise Christ from the dead, then God is powerful enough to unify a body of people. If he can conquer death, he can unify this room, and he can unify all believers around the world. 
So we have to have belief that God is that powerful. Forget about the daunting task of putting our differences aside and thinking of it as being impossible and know that we serve a God of all possibilities. That He can bring us together. It was easy for Paul to defend that because he had seen the risen Lord. And to this day, Paul remains one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection of Jesus. How else could one explain the remarkable change in his life? Once a fierce persecutor of the church, he then became its most fearless advocate. Paul made it clear that without the resurrection of Christ, Christian faith would make no sense. The importance of belief in the resurrection cannot be overstated. It is an indispensable part of the story of our lives. It is something upon we, uh, which we need to meditate daily. And it reminds us that our lives have meaning beyond this world. Christ died and is risen and he's coming again. And we eat together at this table to proclaim his death until that moment happens. We confidently walk out into our fallen world and inviting all powers and principalities to submit with us to the will of God. We cannot be deterred by those who would not understand the true purpose of life. We must live out uh, this victory given by Christ. That is our life, that is our purpose, and that purpose gives us meaning as we serve this eternal God. Paul sums all of this up in a verse that I love uh, in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like Minded, having the same love, the same purpose as Christ himself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You hear that unity language, that humility language? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And for that reason, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father God, how can we thank you enough for the hope that we have in Jesus? How can we thank you enough for giving our life purpose and giving us a second chance, giving us an opportunity to be resurrected along with Christ, to share in that death, to share in that burial and that resurrection, and to go out and proclaim and witness to others, to live out as Christ lived, to have the opportunity of being reborn into a newness of life. Father God, we pray that you would help us to keep our hearts and our minds on you. That we would keep our desires with your will and your plan for our lives, not our own selfish desires. 
Father, we thank you for our victory through Jesus Christ over death. And we thank you for the resurrecting power that the old can be put to death and the new can begin. Amen. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, any way that we can pray for you, serve you, minister to you, encourage you to come uh, as we stand and sing this song. I'll be down front. There's an elder in the back uh, and there's a room full of people in between. Uh, that would love to pray with you uh, and talk with you and minister to you. Uh, Let's sing together.